Hey, kids. Welcome to Sidebar with John Duran. It is Friday, November the 8th, 2019, and we have got quite a show lined up for you today because November, besides being Movember, Jason, we're supposed to grow facial hair. You're like oh. completely smooth. You're right. You're right. It's, it's, it's the no shave <laughs> yeah, November. I'm, I'm always a little scruffy, but I don't know if I'm going to get much more than scruffy. But You know, I'm, I'm just a clean guy. I like to keep it clean and shaven, you know? <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, then no Movember for you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel good when I'm nice and squeaky clean. You know? All right. But we digress because I, <laughs> I was about to tell you the show lineup and we got off to our facial hair. That's how easily distracted we are. We are more easily distracted than Donald Trump. But I'm pumped. Hey, rimshot. There, there you go. There's my first joke of the day. Rimshot. I'm trying to figure out which uh, one 48, I think. Let's find out. Jason and I are playing with technology. So. Rimshot, first joke of the day. All go. right. Um, we've got quite a show. It is uh, um, Transgender Awareness Month, the month of November. So first off, uh, my first two guests, Alexis Sanchez and Jake Rostovsky, are from the Transgender Advisory Board of the City of West Hollywood. They're both uh, trans activists, male the fe- one female the female, one female the male. And uh, they'll be joining us talking about Transgender Awareness Month and, of course, the Transgender Day of Remembrance, which happens every year on November the 20th and what it means. And so we'll be having that discussion. And then after that, we're getting a call in from Steve Afriot. Now, Steve... Longtime activist. Uh, he's now primarily a lobbyist here in Southern California. But at one time, he was a young activist in the offices of Ed Edelman and Xavier Slavsky, who were the Los Angeles County supervisors who were there for the beginning of the gay rights movement and HIV and AIDS in the 80s. And Yas Queen. Yas Queen. Oh, now he's. Oh, God. Now, <laughs> I'm working on now it. Now you're scaring me with the technology. <laughs> and uh, Steve is credited with starting the first AIDS walk in the nation at Africa at Blackstone way back when. So he's got a long history of doing really good stuff and be great to get his historical perspective on our people and where we're heading. Mm -hmm. And then finally, to end off the show, our returning guest, who's always the smartest person in the room, of course, when you just got Jason and I in the room with you, that isn't hard to do, right? Not at all. Rib shot. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, forget it. Forget the rib shot. (laughs) Aren't you guys glad we got new technology we're learning to play with? I'm not sure our manager is journal manager <laughs> but anyway um our last guest will be karen oakum uh longtime lesbian longtime journalist um started out with nbc news way back in the 70s and then in the 80s made the transition over to lgbt media where she's been ever since i call her the walking wikipedia of lgbt history but she always corrects me that wikipedia is not always accurate and she prides herself on being accurate and factual so um karen will be here to do an election day recap We had an election three days ago, kind of reshaped uh, a lot of our politics. And um, if you're paying close attention, then you know that the impeachment hearings are starting next week. And uh, boy, it's looking really bad for the Donald because uh, every time he says, read the transcript, it's like, yeah, that's what we're all doing. That's why Our country is in serious trouble. Absolutely, (laughs) Donald. And it's you. You are our serious trouble. But uh, Adam Schiff, our own member of Congress from West Hollywood, Burbank, is the chairman of House Intelligence, and he will be conducting the impeachment inquiry next week. And uh, how cool is it that the guy who represents West Hollywood is the guy who is leading the impeachment inquiry? I love that. And that the Speaker of the House represents San Francisco. I mean, we're in, in good hands, gang, when we've got Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi watching our backs. So we will, uh, we will be, of course, commenting on that as it unfolds. But um, here we are. We're getting close to uh, Thanksgiving time and Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's, and I cannot believe we're coming to the end of the last quarter of another year. And that means stress, and that means family, and that means shopping, and that means obligations, and all that kind of stuff. So in the month of November, not only will we be doing things that we are grateful for in recognition of Thanksgiving, but also how to maintain our health and mental health fitness oh, so important. through the holidays, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when Thanksgiving comes around, you get that big feast going, you start getting a little heavier than you think you'd get. Not and then, me. No? <laughs> okay, maybe. 
<laughs> and then the Christmas treats come in, yeah. and then you're really blowing up. Yeah. What do you What do you do for Thanksgiving? You're just a family, all family, get together? friends. We all yeah. get together. Aww. We uh, yeah, just have a nice feast. But there's no like extra Muslim touch to Thanksgiving. Is no, there? No, 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 yeah. no. And and Christmas is uh, we just celebrate just for fun. You know. Okay, so you just do for the, the holidays. Santa Claus and the Christmas exactly. tree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean anything per se. Exactly. Got it. Got exactly. It. Well, the extra added Latino thing for Christmas is tamales, which of course are fat free. Not. Ooh. Oh my God, they're so fattening, and I know that's a big tradition for my family that's coming up. So, of course, in December, we'll be doing traditions and holiday stuff and winding up the new year. And gang, let's face it, 2020 is going to be one heck of a year. I can't wait. Uh, One heck of a year. uh, We got the possibility of getting rid of the monster in the Oval Office, the possibility of taking over the U.S. Senate, recalibrating our politics to be a nation of values and Integrity, morals, and decency again. I can't believe. You- <laughs> I can't believe we have to fight for that. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. I made you that key for these sound effects. <laughs> You're gonna regret this. I one, John. may regret making that key for those sound effects. All right, gang. When we come back, we'll be talking to Alexis Sanchez and Jake Prostovsky regarding Transgender Awareness Month. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, gang, welcome back. We're back in studio, and we are joined by with Alexis Sanchez and Jake Rostovsky. Welcome, kids, to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> Great to have you here. We are going to talk about Transgender Awareness Month, and so uh, why November? I'm just curious. Either of you know why we do this every November? Um... I don't actually. Actually, I don't yeah. either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either. Why is trans? Well, maybe it's around Transgender Day of Remembrance. That's November twentieth. That must yes. be a significant date. Yeah, I know Transgender Day of Remembrance has been. It's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember being in high school, so that must have been yeah. like two thousand. Am I dating myself? <laughs> it must have been like two thousand three or so. And I remember there was the murder of a transgender woman named Gwen Rahu, mm-hmm. which um, really helped to prompt. Um, ah, yeah, that must be at the anniversary, maybe of her death. We'll look it up during the break. Why yeah, November twentieth? But this whole month, uh, communities around the country are celebrating trans awareness. And so, I mean, we're we're in big cities and small towns right now broadcasting. What do people need to be aware of? That we exist, um, that the fight is just beginning, and we won't remain silent. It's it's our time now. It, it's the time for the trans community to be out and proud and make some achievements in politics as well. Danica Rome in Virginia yeah. just got reelected to so, yeah. state legislature. Yeah. 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 I think the thing that I always like to bring into the forefront when it comes to Trans Awareness Month is just the disparities, you know, especially like now it's really wonderful. We're getting better media portrayal of trans people on television. It's not like it was when I was growing up where if you saw a trans woman on television, it was generally a sex worker or a victim of a crime on like a crime show or something like that. And now we're getting actual fleshed out, really fantastically written uh, trans characters with depth. Um, But that doesn't mean that um, we've achieved full equity, especially when you look at intersecting identities and trans people of color still face um, incredible challenges when it comes to just like um, access to housing, access to employment, access to, you know, just being able to thrive. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, there are some studies that suggest that at the root of homophobia is misogyny, that at the root of homophobia is a hatred of women, and that often men who beat up, especially trans women, there's something very threatening to them about a 
man in their minds pretending to be a woman. Sure. And there's just something that gets triggered. And it's to, to me, it's so extreme and so out there, I can't even put my head around it. But uh, I mean, I'm just curious, do trans men experience the same level of violence that trans women do? Um, speaking as a trans man, I think the violence is definitely different. It's more of a emotional and mental violence um, than physical. Uh, I'm a gay identified trans male, and so when I walk into a gay male space, I'm often met with uh, exclusion. I'm often met with people telling me that I don't belong. So wait, wait, in a gay male, in, you mean yes. like in a gay bar yes. or a place where gay men are gathering? Yes, with cisgender. So cisgender gay men are gathered. I'm told that I do not belong because I don't have a penis. Okay, I don't know who your friends are, but they <laughs> suck. Yeah, <laughs> they, just, they just suck. I can't imagine any of my gay male friends feeling that way or saying that. And maybe because the experiences we had is coming up through the 80s and the 90s, you know, we, we, we looked for life wherever we could find it in the middle of a battle around HIV and AIDS. It didn't really matter. And, and that's really crazy to me, Jake. Well, I think if we think about what you were talking about, you know, misogyny and all that kind of stuff, we can kind of think of it as gay male, gay, um, cisgender gay men don't feel that trans gay men have struggled or lived the same you know existence right the the fight on hiv let's say is not ours to fight with so we're often met with this you're really not one of us and you can never know what it's like to be one of us and so we're excluded and then our trans sisters are more of the forefront of the physical violence that's what we hear more of right. but in all actuality <laughs> mental and emotional violence can sometimes be just as damaging uh, look mm -hmm. at suicide rates. Look at mm -hmm. self-harm, you know. So both sides are, as Alexis so eloquent, eloquently said, you know, facing disparities. Mm -hmm. I think that's really true. You know, we, um, Alexis, you brought up the depiction of sex worker. But I know that historically for a lot of trans women, that was survival, sex. Yeah, absolutely. And it still exists to some degree. We've had Wes Sigmiller on here a couple of times talking about survival sex and trans women. How how you both have what I guess I'll call real jobs. You have job jobs. <laughs> how did you make the transition from, I mean, after transition to just job job? Did it ever come up that you were trans? Or? Pun intended, right? Yeah, pun, pun intended. Yeah, pun. pun intentional. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't it's, hit the rim shot. It's too late on it. <laughs> <laughs> too late for the rim shot. Okay. <laughs> um, I know for myself, um, you know, I do a lot of trainings with, um, I sometimes I'll consult with trans can work and we'll do um, workplace trainings that just kind of go over the statistics about unemployment in the trans community, right? Because um, oftentimes there's these internal biases that, um, you know, the people who are doing the hiring don't even realize they have, um, but they'll see a trans candidate and, you know, subconsciously um, just decide that that person isn't as qualified. So me personally, um, in my experience, I've had to, I've gotten a career because I've worked three times harder than any candidate um, just showed up earlier stayed later I've really done an exceptional job of marketing myself but I really feel like for me to have the same shot um, at a lot of opportunities it's just I have to work a lot harder and be better network than everyone else around me mm. yeah definitely I, I can't attribute much to except I was very privileged and that's a conversation for you know 30 minutes right about privilege but my parents helped me especially my my mom helped me understand that my worth is more than my identity. It's, it's who I am as a person. So she helped me build other skills. Um, and so when I went into the workplace, I showed up with those skills rather than my trans identity. But I, I like I said, I'm so privileged. That's not the experience of 99.9% .9 of trans individuals. Do you think there's a... Um a concerted effort for more visibility for trans communities today than let's say 20 years ago. Because I know 20 years ago when I met trans women or men, often I didn't even know they were trans women or men until they told me. They led this very secret life. Now it seems like everyone's pushing to be out and open and get it discussed. I think that's intentional, I hope. Yeah, that's a hard question. I feel like a lot of it goes back, or at least um, when I was 
coming out to myself and like doing research on trans stuff um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, there was this narrative about assimilation. And I think we saw it like across the LGBT <coughs> community, right? It's like assimilation versus, um, oh my gosh, what's the other term? I'm blanking on it. It's, uh, but it's like, as a community, do we try and assimilate into social norms um, or do we try and move social norms as a community? And it's, um, it's always been a debate, you know, like for the G, for the L, for the B, and for the T. Um, I think just with the T, um, for a lot of us, we don't have that option. So there's always been that pushback and there's always been the voices in the community that say, like, we shouldn't be pushing for assimilation. You know, like, we shouldn't. There were voices um, back in the fight for marriage equality that said, instead of pushing for marriage equality, we should be looking at the Equal Rights Amendment because that will just create more protections for everyone. And um, so I feel like a lot of that still exists today. Mm -hmm. Totally, yeah. I think I remember, I came out when I was 12, uh, 13, 2003. So the goal, the only goal was, as we called it then, to pass, right? That's mm. assimilation. So I think it's so awesome now that the goal is more to just be who you are and it's okay to be who you are out and proud and it's also okay to assimilate. So it's changed. It's, it's definitely changed. When we come back, gang, we'll be continuing our discussion with Jake Rostovsky and Alexis Sanchez, Trans Awareness Month here on Channel Q. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back, gang. Uh, it is Transgender Awareness Month, and we are talking to Jake Rostovsky and Alexis Sanchez here in studio about Trans Awareness Month. And um, guys, when we just left off um, the uh, before the commercial break, I, I asked you guys during the break about your your background because I just wonder culturally if there was anything that came up. Alexis Sanchez, obviously, you're Latina, right? Yeah. And Jake, you're Polish, uh, Jewish. Yes. Anything about being raised in that culture, that community that made it more difficult or easier to transition? Well, in the Jewish tradition, we have what's called a bar or bat mitzvah. And coincidentally, that was around the time where I also was like, wow, I'm about to become a woman in my culture and I really don't want to become a woman, so what's <laughs> That's going true. on? That's true. Um, so I actually attribute a lot of that like coming of age process in the Jewish tradition to my coming of transgender identity mm -hmm. I don't know like how I would call it but it did kind of force the issue right totally bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah and yeah, yeah becoming a woman becoming a man that's and, kind I'm of like under the eyes of God like you know you're like <laughs> yeah, what kind am of I puts the question yes. right there <laughs> yeah did you have a quinceanera um, am I saying it right no, no quinceanera quinceanera there we go um, no maybe when I turned 15 after coming 15 years <laughs> of having been out of the closet um, but actually you know um, yeah growing up in my parents are Central American and growing up in a Latinx like very religious household um there, my dad was incredibly homophobic, and that kept me in the closet for a really long time. Mm. And then um, my mom um, has um, just like this really wonderful view, which she's passed on to me in her spiritual tradition about finding love and for everybody, for all peoples, and just really understanding like the struggle of marginalized folks. And that really resonates with just the trans experience worldwide. But um, yeah, that machismo that exists in mm. like Latinx culture and like all that, there's not a lot of there's a lot of animosity for. Trans transgender women to the extent that you know in a lot of the country that my parents are from and a lot of the surrounding countries um, transgender women flee and seek asylum here because the, I, you know where they come from like they're murdered just for existing yeah you know that and that that machismo as you describe it for Latino communities and that's obviously my community it shows up too in black male 
communities. Mm -hmm. And if I watch a Trump rally, very clear in white heterosexual male world, (laughs) it's just, okay, you're all men. You're all fine. (laughs) You don't need to prove anything. Just leave us alone. No no offense, Jason. No offense, Jason. (laughs) I'm not a white male. That's true. Oh, that's right. Jason is a a Muslim. Lebanese. Lebanese Muslim. I have that little European. Although (laughs) Europeans are white too. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to. Yeah, let's not go down that road. We're not going to get down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, TDOR, Transgender Day of Remembrance, that happens every November 20th all over the country? Yes. yes. So wherever people are listening, they should check in with their local, what, LGBT center? LGBT, or? I'd say generally their LGBT center will have um, resources. Um, some communities that have really, really um, great supportive services tend to have like really big Trans Day of Remembrances, and then other times communities where the queer community is a little on the smaller side. Um, uh-huh. Generally, you can still find information um, if you just are looking at the local LGBT center. Yeah, right. and you can also uh, find some virtual ones that you can join in on. So Facebook, Instagram, live stories, stuff like that. And I know some Facebook communities, if you're not out and don't feel comfortable going in person to Tidor, you can find some community and safety online as well. So, I mean, let's imagine somebody's in a small town or a suburb listening right now. They're thinking, I want to do a T-Door. What, what, what do you do? I mean, what is, your, what is the format that will be followed here for our T-Door? So, generally... Um so the format that we're going for this year, um, we've really engaged community and letting um, we're letting black trans women really create um, because they're disproportionately represented when it comes to the people who are murdered. So we're letting them kind of take the lead in production. So I'd say first find any community that you can yes. and finding those intersecting identities and the people who are um, affected most are generally like really great resources. Um, we have some um, speakers. I think we have... a performance or two yeah. but the the core of the trans day of remembrance is generally the reading of the names and we'll have um you know we'll have community members come out and read the name of, of a trans person that was murdered mm-hmm. um generally we'll share um this year there's been 22 people in the united states um as of november 8th yeah last um, yesterday right yeah um, so there's been 22 people who have been murdered this year. So we'll read those 22 names in addition to, um, uh, oh my gosh, I think I believe it's Rita Hester and Gwen Aruahu, yes, who uh, those names are read every single year. And then depending on the bad with some ceremonies, we'll read all the names worldwide, um, which is generally over 300. Mm-hmm. And then some ceremonies will do just like who, um, yeah, who, whoever yeah. we lost. The Sounds like a good place for clergy. Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends because if we look at historically the trans community in relation to spirituality or even, you know, various uniformed individuals, it it can be a little triggering. So I think something that's really important is think about the community in which you live in. Think about what's going on currently in your community. And then as long as you're reading names and honoring our trans brothers and sisters that were murdered or or passed away from suicide you know that's what's most important right Mm -hmm. there's no right or wrong way so so far you guys have talked about there's going to be a job fair it sounds like for trans people this month we got the transgender day of remembrance any other programs or activities that you're aware of that happen around transgender awareness month for the month um i feel like the community um just has a ton of great programming. I'm very tired because I'm trying to go to as many of these as, as I can make it to realistically. And um, I know in West Hollywood, um, a nonprofit's getting together to do a trans swim day, which is pretty cool. And they're yeah. doing trans swim day. Tomorrow, yeah, right? I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's you know like there was this survey that was done, um, and they surveyed um, the cisgender population and the transgender population, and they're like, if you could abolish gendered anything for the day, what would you do? And cis people were like all over the place. And 90% of trans people said, I would go swimming because yeah. generally swimming, just aquatic centers and like um, swimming in general, um, you know, like it's not conducive to like if you have, you know, just kind of if you're not comfortable with your body or if you're living outside the gender binary. So, um, yeah, we're having this really cool event at the West Hollywood Aquatic Center tomorrow. I, it's heated. It's a heated is, pool. <laughs> God, it's a heated pool. I never would even thought about that. Well, there you go. I'm a cisgender male. So are you. You're a cisgender male, too. We're learning something, Jason. But see, that's, that's the privilege, right? Is like, think about it. Is like cisgender people couldn't agree on like one thing that they would all love to do if gender was abolished. And trans people were like we just want to go swimming like we just want to 
hang out in the pool. Like mm. that's. I would say sing. Sing. That's what I would yeah. say. I can't sing regardless of what. Alexis can sing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, Let's hear it. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> She's like, no. You have to talk to my agent. Be a I know the trans chorus, we, the one and only all trans chorus is here in Los Angeles, and they have been doing incredible work. Are they going to participate in any of, any of this? This year, we are not having them perform, not because we don't love them, but just because we are so jam-packed but i know that if you go on if you look them up online you could find they're all they're always performing all over los angeles either of you have any online there they there they are now there's the bass section (laughs) (laughs) both genders there's the bass section um uh, any websites you guys want to refer our listeners to if they need more information on anything you've talked about yeah sure Um, i'm doing a trans training for mental health providers medical providers that can be looked uh, that can be found on transhealthnow.com uh, our training is in March. Awesome. Alexis? Um, I know the city of West Hollywood has, um, uh, it's just like weho.org slash trans awareness month or TAM. I can't remember which one of the two, but if you do a Google search for West Hollywood and transgender awareness month, you can find all the events that are going on in WeHo. Awesome. And say hi to us. And we'll yeah. say hi yeah. to you. All right, gang, when we come back, we'll be talking to Steve Afriat about early days. Thank you, Jake Rostovsky, Alexis Sanchez. Thank you for Thank coming you. on. Thanks and I'll see you both at T-Door, yeah. if not sooner. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in, gang, here on Channel Q. Giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Welcome back, gang. And uh, in studio with me, I have got uh, famed journalist, LGBT journalist, Karen Oakham. Welcome back to the show once again, Karen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and on the phone, oh, we have calling in live Steve Afriat. Steve, are you with us? Yes, I am. And good morning and hello, Karen. Hello. <laughs> so, Steve, I, I mean, I think a lot of people around Southern California know you as Steve Afriat, the lobbyist or the consultant. But what they don't know is Steve Afriat, the early LGBT. LGBT activists way back when. When did you first, uh, I guess, come out and and start to get involved with things related to LGBT people? Well, I, I began to come out, John, back in the late 70s. I was a high school teacher when the Briggs Initiative was on the ballot. Oh, wow, that's um, 78, and that would have banned homosexuals from teaching in the public schools. That's correct, yeah. We, we had a lot of enemies that people don't remember, and John Briggs is a name that people should not forget. And... Uh, and he was the Donald Trump of Orange County of the 70s. Yeah, yep. And, um, but I have to admit, I came out sort of in baby steps because uh, it was a scary time and I was worried about my job and I was also worried um, about how people would react. It was not a time when a lot of people were coming out. Yeah, yeah, and that would have been the 70s. And then I didn't know you were a school teacher in the 70s. So obviously, you had something at stake. You, you could have been thrown out of the classroom for being gay. I, I could have been, and so could have a lot of my friends and, and, and other people who were also very afraid. One, one of the things that Zev Yaroslavsky used to talk about is how standing up as an ally was also equally as dangerous, if you will, because what a lot of people don't remember or know is that the Briggs Initiative was not only attacking teachers, LGBT teachers, but anybody who supported them, including just by a public statement. It's really a good point, and, and, and I, I give Zev a lot of credit. It was his first term as a council member. He was very courageous, and there were two people who were debating John Briggs up and down the state. One was Harvey Milk, and the other was Zev Yaroslavsky. Mm, that's amazing. And he was a straight ally from the Fairfax District here in Los Angeles, right? Yes, and upon his election to the city council, uh, he reintroduced a motion that others had tried to get passed uh, to um, adopt the first anti-discrimination laws in a city, even before San Francisco, 
to protecting uh, members of the LGBT community. And after Zev's election, it passed on an 8-7 vote. I didn't realize it was a split vote. That's amazing on the L.A. City Council. Zev, um, I think Zev and Tom Bradley were the very first uh, politicians, Mayor Tom Bradley, that got involved with MECLA. Because MECLA was in its formative years about the same time, the first LGBT political action committee in the country. That's correct, and they were very active raising money. I think their birth was in the late 70s, so I don't think they came of age until the 80s. Yeah, I I think that's true. And and what a lot of people may not who are young now and may not know who Tom Brady was, but Tom Brady was... Bradley. Bradley. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Tom Brady's a quarterback. That I know. I know who he is. He's a hot quarterback. But you're talking about the mayor of L.A. Friend of Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, Tom Bradley was African American and the first black mayor of Los Angeles. And Zev Yaroslavsky was and is still, I believe, an Orthodox Jewish person. So. The, the stereotypes about African-Americans and Orthodox Jews not supporting LGBT people, you know, just got a pushback on that one and early on. And meanwhile, I think the AIDS epidemic was about to crash on us, too. Yes, yes. And, and Zev, by the way, was not uh, Orthodox. He considers himself conservative, but okay. he was elected in an upset victory uh, in part because he had strong support among the Orthodox community. Mm. Thank you for the clarification. Steve, did you worked for Zev or Ed Edelman or both? Or t- no, I was Zev's chief of staff uh, from 1983 to 1985. Wow. Which was really the onset. I mean, I showed up at City Hall and all of a sudden... Uh, we have uh, an AIDS uh, crisis among among us, uh, and it impacted Zev's district significantly. The, the lines were different then, and we had the Gay and Lesbian Center and the first AIDS Project Los Angeles on Cole Avenue, uh, John, you may remember, and Karen, uh, was also in Zev's district. Mm. And, and Afriat Blackstone, you're credited with starting the first AIDS walk. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, it wasn't my firm, and, 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 and I really want to say this emphatically because, because so much credit goes to him. The real founder of the AIDS Walk was Craig Miller, mm-hmm. who currently operates the AIDS Walk today and, and has done a magnificent job. Craig and I were long-term friends since we were kids, and I was uh, getting ready to depart Zev's office, and he came to me and said, would I partner with him and at the time his partner and help produce the walk. It was already in production. Uh, it was in late July of, I'm, I'm staring at the first flyer that hangs at my office. It was July 28th, 1985. Wow. And, uh, and so I played a role in securing Paramount Studios and helping with some permit issues and of course doing a lot of strategy. And I was really pa- proud to be included as a founder of that walk uh, on, under uh, Craig's leadership. Um, but for me, it was a, a one-year experience, and I was starting my own business, and it's a very, very consuming project. Mm, 34 years ago, too. And that was also just after uh, Rock Hudson died, right? Yes. Uh, the walk was already being promoted when Rock Hudson died, and I remember a lot of banners uh, uh, praying for Rock Hudson and, and acknowledging Rock Hudson. I will also say we were talking about Tom Bradley. He was the honorary chair mm-hmm of the first AIDS walk and his name's on the flyer and 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 I had the amazing privilege of being able to introduce him to kick off the walk. Got Steve, you got time to do a second segment? We're going to have to break for top of the hour. Uh, so we'll be hearing more from Steve Afriat when we come back from uh, top of the hour and Karen Oakham here in studio. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang, uh, in studio with me. I've got Karen Oakham uh, doing this uh, last hour of the show around politics. And we are have our guest, Steve Afriat, still on the line. Steve, you still there? Yes, I am, John. All right, great. Let's set a, a setting for our listeners because I there's a 1970s, late 70s, early 80s Los Angeles, I, like I think most cities around the country. There were some people working on the Equal Rights Amendment, and there were some anti-discrimination statutes being propped up here or there, but the sexual revolution was still in play. I mean, there was bathhouses and gay bars and and disco. Uh, All of that was really at its height before HIV and AIDS hit. I assume you remember all this. Yeah, Steve, I'm not... (laughs) 
<laughs> Am I making you salivate? Because I'm salivating in the studio. <laughs> well, I'm certainly feeling nostalgic. <laughs> and, and ironically, actually, the going away party of Studio One is tomorrow night. We've had uh, them on the show a few times now. The big final going away to Studio One. In essence, we're we're saying goodbye to a very nostalgic period of our history when we were just trying to figure out where in the world we all fit. Yes, yes. And if I could add a quick thing to that, uh, John and Karen, um, as a high school teacher and with the Briggs Initiative and, and Harvey Milk's campaign, which for those who don't remember is, if you want to be Briggs, come out. Mm-hmm. Let your neighbors, let your shopkeepers know uh, that you're gay and they liked you before, they should like you now. And that permeated into high schools. And I saw as a teacher gay kids coming out at 16, 17, 18 years old. And what a remarkable thing it was. Well, and in fact, I came out at 19. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't that far. I don't behind. remember you in my class. No, it was 1978, and I was 19, <laughs> and that's when I came out. But, you know, it wasn't so much about Harvey Milk. It was, um, it was at least for me, it was about that hunger to figure out where in the world I fit. Where do I fit? And uh, my coming out happened with my fake ID at Studio One. <laughs> that was my entree. It wasn't a Disneyland? I mean, give me a break. I was at Disneyland, but I was dating girls back then. See, Jason, I dated girls once. (laughs) Nobody can imagine today. (laughs) Well, for me, coming out was also coming out to myself Mm -hmm. and beginning that process of acceptance. And, uh, and, and then it was, you know, I, walking into my first gay bar, which, which was so scary, and then I felt at home. Yeah. So hey, let me. So here you are. You're now chief of staff to this very powerful politician, L.A. City, or maybe, maybe a fledgling powerful politician, Xavier Slavsky. And all of a sudden, you're getting word in the district that gay men are dying of things like Kaposi's sarcoma and pneumocystis and toxoplasmosis and CMV retinitis and probably words that none of us should know. Uh, what, what, if anything, are you and Zev talking about? Well, we're, we're talking on two different levels. One is, how do we get higher levels to engage? The county has a health department, but there were not three friendly votes on the Board of Supervisors back then. That's right. Uh, state government, you know, we had Jerry Brown in the legislature, but it wasn't like today. You were lucky if there were 10 Democrats in the legislature that were prepared to respond to that. John Burton, Willie Brown, Henry Waxman, and a handful of others. Well, Henry had gone on to Congress, but Howard Berman was there. And, and so there were not a lot of go-to people. Zev gave me a lot of latitude to bridge to the LGBT community, and so we assembled some meetings that included the early AIDS Project Los Angeles, uh, and of course we had Steve Schulte at the time, who was head of the, uh, at the time it was called the Gay and Lesbian Center on Highland Avenue, <laughs> and started to have meetings back then about what we can do to engage people. Uh, Zev was chair of the Budget and Finance Committee, and we were actually get the got the first initial funding for AIDS Project Los Angeles, and it wasn't a lot of money, just to do outreach, help them pay their rent, and begin to figure out a way to start educating people because back in 1983, I don't think any of us were fully educated. Yeah, and what were you thinking about your own mortality or exposure? Um, I was scared. I, I felt like. Um, I felt like there was a clock ticking. I was one of the fortunate ones. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there but for the grace of God. It could have been me just like it could have been anybody else. Um, and as I participated in helping people become educated, I became educated myself. Yeah. Steve, flash forward to 2019. There's a guy named Mayor Pete running for president of the United States and doing well in Iowa. It's not second, maybe third. Did you ever think in our lifetime that we would reach this moment? No. No, I'm still getting used to marriage, even though I'm married myself. <laughs> I, 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 have to, I have to say what an amazing skyrocket it has been um, in terms of our civil rights movement. Uh, and, and I think we learned a lot from the African-American community, from the Latino community on how to do that. And I think that HIV, if I could ever put a positive spin on it, which I can't even imagine I said those words, is it taught us the importance 
of uniting and fighting. And mm-hmm. organizing. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I tell I tell the millennials, we didn't have the luxury of dissent. <laughs> you know, now there's so much infighting over who's got the lowest rung of the ladder. Or uh, by dissent, I mean yeah, I not that we say. couldn't not that we couldn't disagree <laughs> on policy, mm-hmm. but we had everybody come to a common table, whether it was ACT UP or the log cabin guys mm-hmm. or you mean Southern life, California life lobby had- women for understanding. Or well, I just I think in general, I mean I, beyond just the life aids lobby, I think I think we had a crisis on our hands. It was death and dying. <laughs> we <laughs> it did. Just, doesn't get it any was, more critical. And it was personal to us they were our friends yeah 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 i yeah i i i i think that you know i i don't like to look for silver linings in the midst of aids but it it forced us into the fast lane very quickly well, not, yes, it did. not by choice not yes, by it choice did. and i always like to say because it's so important when when so many of our friends and loved ones were dying but for the lesbian community, yes, yep, who were cooking meals and 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 tending to people and and leading fighting. and leading organizations, yes. yeah, and fighting for us when we couldn't fight for ourselves, um, our sisters really helped save a lot of lives. Yeah, I, I I pay that tribute wherever I can and whenever I can. Steve, we have less than a minute. I guess any you know, if there's a young LGBT activist listening in in a small town somewhere in America, what would you say? I would say reach out to us, find allies and supporters. Um, It only takes that one person. Maybe it's a teacher because that was my experience. Um, And and it's not always easy to leave a small town and and especially to come to L.A. We see too many sad instances of people on the streets. But find us. Find John Duran at West Hollywood City Hall and let us help you. Let us connect you with services. There are services in Los Angeles and other big cities that will reach out to whatever town you're living in to help you get through it. Awesome. Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Hope to have you back another day. You're a fountain of information. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. When we come back, gang, Karen Oakland and I will be doing election year wrap-up on election 2019. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang. I'm in studio with Karen Oakham. Like I tell people, she's always the smartest person in the room. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> and with Jason and I in the room with you, that ain't saying much, but no, I'm kidding. That was Billie Eilish, if you were wondering. Yeah. That was Billie Eilish that we were listening to, and it actually joined us all three. Yeah, beep-bop in the bass. Be- yeah, get that bass. <laughs> Yas Queen. Yas Queen, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just had an election, uh, a national election that just passed, and for the first time in a long time, the Democrats took the Kentucky governor's seat. Amazing. Kentucky. Kentucky. A state that Donald Trump carried by 30 points. Mitch three years McConnell ago. must be. You know, I hope he's looking. I hope out. he's looking very carefully at what yeah, happened in I Kentucky. Mean, you know, the state legislature is still Republican. You know, Every yeah, other yeah, statewide yeah. office is Republican. But, but it's a warning shot. Oh my heavens! <laughs> it's a but war- I don't know what that's going to mean for Mitch McConnell though, because he's he's going to have to be bifurcated in a way. He's going to have to deal with his Republican well, <laughs> state, the majority. And he's going to have to lead the Senate in an impeachment trial, yeah. which he says he if the House passes impeachment, the Senate is constitutionally obligated to take up Trump's impeachment as a trial. Right. And he said he is constitutionally obligated to do that. What happens after that? Well, remember who presides, though. It's not Mitch McConnell. No. It's it's, the Chief Justice. John Roberts presides over the trial. Yeah, I know. And he's kind of a confusing guy to read, to tell you You know, he gave a warning shot to Trump a year ago when Trump was talking about Obama judges. And it's very rare for a justice of the Supreme Court to say anything. But he came out and he said there are no Obama judges or or Bush judges. Right. There are just judges. And he, you know, he ruled on uh, the ACA, on the Affordable Care Act as well. And upholding it, yeah. Yeah, I think he is concerned about his legacy and the institution of the court, which is good. And as one of the three parts of government, you right, know, right. Which, which, you know, Trump has been trying to uh, negate. But, you know, I think that Virginia turning blue, Completely blue. is really, it's not a swing state. Nope, no longer purple. 
it's now completely blue. Right. You know what else is interesting for me uh, is that California starts early voting on February 3rd, the same day as the Iowa caucuses. So for people who are ignoring California because, oh, you know, it's blue, it's going to go... California is going to have a say, I think, in the primary process, and I think that it's going to be really uh, important. I, unlike you, uh, I do think that uh, Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders are going to be dinged uh, at the California Democratic Convention uh, this coming weekend because they're, you know, they're saying, ah, we've got other things to do. We're not coming. And those are the grassroots supporters who knock on doors, who do the grassroots money. I know that you think that, uh, you know, it's not as necessary to have that party backing, but I think that it's a big mistake. I mean, people start early voting on February 3rd. I think in terms of perception, it can be a zing, but I think in today's politics, uh, social media has become the new way to communicate to millions of people. And Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, they have hundreds of thousands of followers who follow them loyally. People are already lining up and, mm-hmm. and they're already committed to Elizabeth or to mm-hmm. Bernie mm-hmm. or to Biden. Mm-hmm. And whatever the California Democratic Party does, it's not as weighty as it used to be. I think there was a time when the delegates would gather in a city and they'd do an endorsement and then that would be reported in the newspapers mm-hmm. and then people would read it and then they'd form opinions. Mm-hmm. Now in the 24-hour news cycle with everybody got social media at their fingertips, I don't know if the parties hold the same kind of sway that well, they used to. but think about not just the presidential, but think about the congressional uh, elections because... For instance, the the DCCC just opened an office in Irving, California, in order to protect those uh, seats that uh, the Southern California seats, Orange County, San Diego, that were flipped from red to blue. Uh, And I think not only protect, but hopefully and presumably push uh, Omar Kempinajar to defeat Duncan Hunter and Daryl Issa, who was also entering that race in the 50th district. Um, and then we'll see whatever ramifications uh, the Katie Hill yeah. uh, resignation I, might have. That particular seat, although I sent money to, what's his name again? Uh, 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 Kempa Najjar? Yes, I sent him Omar money. Kempa I sent him Najjar. money. I can't ever say his name. I sent him money. But the reality is that is a safe Republican seat. No, you I don't think, think. I don't know. I, they're, they're chewing each other up, those yeah, Republicans. Yeah, I, I think Daryl Issa will knock uh, the indicted felon <laughs> off in the Republican primary, and well, then Daryl Issa holds the seat. He's a carpet. He's being a sort of a district Pete, carpet bagger. Pete Knight was a carpet bagger. Mm-hmm. Pete Knight moved from Republican seat to Republican seat. You know, yeah. people yeah. people who are hardcore ideologues, mm-hmm. like if Nancy Pelosi moved to West LA, mm-hmm. I'd jump behind her in a second. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't matter to me that she carpet bagged in from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, but Daryl Issa was not, you know, was not popular when he left. Uh, Congress. But he's rich. He's rich. <laughs> he's rich. He's rich. He can self-fund see, his own campaign. But that's where the party comes in because they'll get the boots on the ground. Yeah, I. You know, I think the boots on the ground is changing, and and I say this as somebody who has to run for office every four years. Mm-hmm. The reality is that there was a time when people would really campaign door to door, precinct to precinct, phone call to phone call. Do you answer your phone when it comes up unidentified or unknown caller? I don't know about you. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I only. I pick up the phone for people I recognize. Mm-hmm. And most people are now on iPhones. They're not on landlines any longer. Mm-hmm. There are still some who are. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's hard to phone bank oh, voters. You're talking about robocalls and phone banking. Well, phone banking. Mm-hmm. Phone banking voters. Or even going door to door. I mean, it's it's kind of quaint, you know, to think about it. But I think a lot of people get their information now from social media, for good, bad, or, or worse. I mean, I, I don't like it because I think social media can be full of false statements, inaccurate statements, misrepresentation, mm-hmm. fraud, you know, by Russia or others trying to interfere in our elections. I don't like it. It doesn't have the time-tested quality of old-fashioned journalism mm-hmm. where you'd actually have editors and fact-checkers checking stuff. Instead, it's just whatever people put out gets consumed. Well, but that actually creates a, a vacuum and an opportunity because not everybody is on social media. 
So there is still room, the older voters, uh, for instance, where there's also an opportunity for corruption, we've discovered, with, yep. you know, people going in and let me help you fill out your ballot and I'll take it and mail it for you. Uh, but older voters, uh, folks who do not have access to computers or iPhones or or social media. Becoming a smaller and smaller minority, I think. The world's changed. Yeah. The world has changed and changing. And I don't want to think for the better, by the way. I'm, I'm, I kind of miss the days when I could rely on ABC, NBC, CBS, right. LA Times, New York Times to give me my data and information. So what do you think about TV commercials and radio commercials? Well, I think commercials, I, I think for the most part, people, when they know a commercial is sponsored by a candidate, they expect some bias. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the problem, I think, with social media as a distribution channel, it, nobody fact checks it. Mm -hmm. You can make up anything about anyone. Well, and now we and, have these deep fake videos right. where you can literally make up stuff and put it on somebody's And then face. it gets tweeted and retweeted mm -hmm. or it gets posted and reposted. And then if there's an error in it or it's found out later to be false, well, then you send out a correction. That's that doesn't get republished or retweeted. Yeah. So, I mean, you're identifying actually a real crisis point for our democracy and our in the elections. In the information age. You know, we're yeah. having an information technology revolution and democracy hasn't quite caught up, I think. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting times we live in. That's how a Donald Trump can yeah, get elected. Got elected. That is how it happens. And that's frightening to me. Yeah. So what's the next stage? What's going to happen? How do you correct that? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. All I know is Come that- Come on, you're a politician. I am a politician. <laughs> 2020, I think looking at what I'm looking at, I think there's a very good chance that Donald Trump will be taken out, either through impeachment, uh, probably not by removal by the Senate, but probably by the voters in 2020. But to me, what's more critical is the U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Senate is in Colorado, in Maine, in, uh, in uh, where are the other key states? Um uh, Arizona, Sally McNally in Arizona, Cory Gardner in Colorado, uh, Susan Collins in, in Maine. Maine. Mm -hmm. I think they're all vulnerable. And, and taking back the U.S. Senate to stop the Trump federal judges yeah. uh, from being continued to be appointed by the next guy, whoever it could be Pence or somebody else, is really critical, too. Well, and you see that McConnell has set up a time to just basically... Confirm, 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 confirm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know, the Between November and January, yep. they'll push through a whole lot. Yep. We got to take a break. Okay. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in, gang, here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang. We are in studio with Karen Oakham, LGBT journalist of the ages. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't even you make know. make me sound so old. <laughs> well, 40, 40 years of doing uh, LGBT. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. I think <laughs> Fewer than 40 years. 40 years as a journalist. Yes, as a journalist. A long time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I am kind of uh, mesmerized by what's going to happen with the impeachment uh, hearings next week. Me too. I think that more people are going to tune in. At, you know, it's not going to be a Robert Mueller sleep fest. I think it's going to be more of a civics lesson along the lines of OJ. You know, mm. it's people are going to tune in and see what they can understand. And they're trying to see, you know, including Trump supporters, you know, he keeps saying he didn't do it. It was a perfect call, but they're you know, I don't believe these people. I don't, but, but they're making sense somehow. You know, uh, it, it could be a huge turning point. I just, I just worry because I think his people listen to Fox News exclusively. Yes, but Fox News has been challenging. Are there? See, I don't, yeah, I don't watch yeah. Fox News. Who, well, who, who is Chris Wallace, for instance? What's he doing? Uh, challenging Trump spokespeople who come on and spew out, you know, Kellyanne Conway, for instance, you know, no, 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 that's not. And then Sam, uh, what's his name, Shep Shepard, uh, you know, the gay guy who was on Fox left. There was a gay guy on Fox? <laughs> yeah, you really don't watch I re Fox. I really <laughs> have nothing to do with Fox. Yeah, there are some really uh, old-fashioned journalists who are conservative bent, if you will, just as there are presumably liberal bent in right. MSNBC. So. Well, if you were a true conservative, 
What's happening right now with Trumpism would scare, would scare the heck out yeah, of you. That's... Cozing up to, to Russia, uh, you know, screwing over the Ukraine. Uh, it's really, really debt, awful. Debt, debt, debt. They yeah. used to be all about, you know, not having uh, debt and, and national security, all of that. I mean, when Trump can get on and not even talk to any of his national security advisors and bully the new president of Ukraine. Yep. And then the, and then after a conversation, one phoner with the Turkish president, you know, yeah, yeah, Erdogan, yeah. and then they rush in and kill all these Kurds who've been our allies. Right. What conservative can support, support that? that? Jarrett Hill has just joined us in studio, gang. Yes. Jarrett, welcome. Yes, exactly. Karen wanted to talk about uh, Pete Buttigieg and black churches in South Carolina, but she was uncomfortable doing it without having an African-American voice in the studio. So. Ah, I see, I see. So you are well, now representing I mean, all of black America. As I usually do. Yes, yes, yes. I actually, What's the question? Well, I, I actually uh, interviewed um, District Attorney Jackie Lacey about a number of things. Okay. One of the things that I, you know, she's running for re-election and facing a uh, tough challenge, actually, um, but I opened the interview saying, what do you, what's your interpretation of South Carolina uh, Representative Clyburn mm-hmm. saying Pete Buttigieg is having a difficult time with black voters, older black voters mm-hmm. in South Carolina mm-hmm. because of his homosexuality. Sure. And I asked her actually what her take on that was because Kamala said, wait a second, that's an old trope. And not, you know, and we ought not to buy into that. You cannot assign, you know, a specific community or group of people that trope and say all people are like that. Yeah, yeah. So she actually sort of dodged the question. She said, I can't speak for all African Americans. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, I kind of get that. But what's your view anyway? And. So what's um, your I think view? this is something that's been a big conversation since Proposition 8 here in California mm-hmm. back in 2008. Um, and when Proposition 8, I always mix up if it passed or if it failed. It passed. It so passed, we, yeah. So gay marriage was... Um, was you know banned in the state after it had been allowed they started this whole conversation about black voters and how they were homophobic and that th- black voters were the reason that this happened um, and then like the data started to show like that wasn't actually true well hold it, on it, there hold was on. controversial there are a number of black churches came out very very strongly but black churches mega- and black voters are not the same thing right so mm-hmm. black churches uh, black pastors always have like really strong views on these things but then you know the voters have kind of of a mix of views on these things. I think black voters are not connecting with people to judge because people to judge hasn't really like connected. I don't think he's he's had a moment where he's really connected. I think he is excellent in What interviews. about his Douglas plan? I I think Pete Buttigieg... Which is a Marshall plan for the black community. I'm, I'm not familiar with all of the details of the Douglas plan, so I don't want to speak to, to that specifically, but I will say that with, with Pete Buttigieg, I think he interviews and speaks beautifully. I think he does such a fantastic job um, talking about like very specific topics and being able to speak to race and inequality in a way that shows that it's something that he's thought about. But I don't think enough people, A, are hearing him or B, believing him. Because he's had that whole situation with his police chief in in, uh, in South Bend, Indiana, where he's the mayor. He's just not really connected. But to be well, fair, black voters were not geeked about Barack Obama when he started either, mm-hmm. right? Like, people were connected with Hillary Clinton and had the familiarity of the Clinton name. And I think we have that familiarity with Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily connect with Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden, his time has kind of come and gone. But I think that black voters are not, like... Are not uh, are are not just going to like buy into people to judge because he speaks well. Well, and I think you make a really really critical distinction between the black church and black voters. Yeah. Because what we saw during Prop Eight, uh, and I covered that up, you know, yeah. extensively was that there was such an outpouring about how it, it's not necessarily about how gay people were bad. It was just the, you know, how sacred marriage is. Yeah. And you can't take that from us. But black voters, uh, the next day after AP actually put out erroneous uh, 
polling after exit the, polling. Yeah, exit polling. And that's what got everybody all hopped up. Sure. And, and it was incorrect. And they, you know, adjusted it, but it didn't make any difference. But the black church still, you know, you have First AME mm-hmm. and you have Holman here in, in Los Angeles that are very progressive in terms sure. of fighting AIDS and being welcoming. But then you still have these black mega churches that are still saying that, you know, gay people are going to hell. But I think it's also a really important distinction to make because there are plenty of people within those churches who don't believe that. Right. Mm-hmm. I've. I was in those churches Mm -hmm. my entire life, right? And obviously didn't believe that. So, well, I remember coming out and being like, well, I do think that I'm awful because I'm gay and I've been praying about this and asking God to take it away. But there are plenty of people within the church that don't believe that. And so I think it's a, I say it's complicated because like the pastor can say X, Y, Z from the pulpit, but the parishioner in, in the pews, you know, don't necessarily follow all of those things, right? Because oftentimes the pastor's not even following those things. I went to a mega church in Atlanta with the now dearly departed uh, Eddie Long, who was walking in the front lines of, you know, family first and protect marriage and all that. And then also was, you know, having relationships with men, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And like telling his parishioners not to do that. So I, I say that it's complicated and, and I always try to make sure that I, I, I indicate like, Black voters are not a monolith, right? We always talk about black voters want X or black voters do X, but like black voters come from all over the country. They have all kinds of different backgrounds and look at these things differently. But I don't I don't think that Pete Buttigieg has connected and I don't know that he will. But again, Barack Obama was in the same place yeah. at this time. So when Travis, we come back, gang, yeah. when we come back yeah. after commercial, more yeah. discussion about presidential politics here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang. Uh, Closing remarks here. We're still talking presidential politics during the break. I got to tell you, Jarrett Hill and Karen Oakham, we're still going at it. (laughs) Sorry, we were going in on it. Yeah. There's some special content for the podcast or something. I love it. It's obviously presidential year. What's curious to me, this warning by Anonymous, you you think people are going to take it as seriously as I take it? To me, it sounds like absolute chaos in the White House on a daily basis. I just think that it's not surprising, right? Right. Like right. this is kind of the the White House that we imagine that we have. Um, and also, like I always hear, like we always get the government that we deserve. Um, but I, I, I'm starting to have mixed feelings. When there was an op ed in New York Times, I was like, oh, this is great. As a whole book now, I'm like, bro or sis, whomever they like, you're going to have to say who you are. For yeah. me to be able to take this seriously, yeah. I, it, 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 it's starting to bother me. I know that the New York Times knows who this person is. I know the publisher knows who this person is. But like, I need this person to to step up and say who they are. But I think the focus is there's been so much focus on who is anonymous that diverts attention from what anonymous is saying. Yes, I mean, absolutely. remember, please, that it was Erdogan's call with Donald Trump, and right after that. Trump said, oh, we're pulling out, you Mm. know, and right after that, you had this massive, well, a massacre of the Kurds who are our allies. So that whimsy that, oh, I'm going to do this because I'm almost a dictator. That's the substance of what Anonymous is talking about. Those are the results of what Anonymous is talking about. I don't care who anonymous is i care about what anonymous is revealing well i think that i think anonymous's credibility comes in their identity right if it's mick mulvaney mm. the acting white house chief of staff right. that's a very different book than if it's you know coming from a low-level staffer they say it's a senior administration adv- official who could be one of the ones who are about to testify in the impeachment hearings we don't possibly really right know. it could be a cabinet official mm. it could be anyone it could be mike pence <laughs> you know what i mean like no. i Doubt it. Right? <laughs> He's but, like, got his head so far up. What's yeah. his name? I, I mean, he yeah. definitely yeah. does. But like, think about how that knowing that it's Mick Mulvaney or 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 Mike Pence or mm-hmm. a cabinet official. Think about how that changes the discussion about this information, mm-hmm. rather than oh, it's a singer advisor to the president. Like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a very different conversation. And so I think the credibility for whomever that person is comes in their identity. This and maybe orange, they know that. Maybe they know that this, they're not. But a big you can't person. stay stuck on that because then you don't pay attention to what is happening as a I, result. No, no, no. I, I completely wholly agree with you on that. And I think the things that they're saying are alarming and mm-hmm. horrifying mm-hmm. and should be taken like with great concern. 
But I'm saying, I think for, uh, on mass, I don't think people are going to, I don't think enough people are going to pay attention to it because they have no idea who this person is. Mm-hmm. This orange knucklehead, meanwhile, is telling his staff to treat each day at the White House like it's another episode of television. I mean, that is what he's telling his staff. I mean, and he's already got and, another and you, show lined you up. You've got to think about, and he's trying to line up another show, is The Apprentice yes. White House yep. with the... Mark, produ- Mark Burnett. He's, it's all show, but he's not realizing there are global consequences to this show. What is... What is uh, the the White House, the Apprentice White House? What does that mean? I've not heard this. <laughs> he, he's... Hiring and firing people like he's doing now. Well, even that's interesting to me, right? Like he came in as the you're fired president, but like right. never fire someone to their face. Right. Always had a like s- fires people by tweet. By tweet, sends yeah. them sends someone to he. Sent Corey Lewandowski to fire the Attorney General of the United States. You know what I mean? He's a coward. He's a coward, he's right? A coward. So it's like he he's you know real big and bad on Twitter. You know what I mean? But like in person, he can't do well, that. Well, he's and he's all bluff on the global stage. You know, yeah. threatening Iran, threatening North Korea, and guess what? No one takes him seriously. Yeah. We are very vulnerable as a nation right now. I feel now. like the only time I ever saw him do anything that was really ballsy, that really kind of pissed me off, was uh, at that first was it G seven where he like push the guy out of the way before the photo. <laughs> and I was like, what kind of school kid are you? Yeah, you know what I mean? He's a bully. He's he a bully. Is, but like a really whack one. Yeah. Not really good at what he does. Yeah, like yeah. a good bully would be able to say something to your face. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I... I I'm so glad to get to talk about this here because on my show later it's Trump Free Friday, so we can't even talk about Donald Trump. Allie, but, we're getting it all out I here know. on the sidebar. But you were asking me about Kamala Harris, yes. and I think her new plan. Um, this she wants to extend the school day to six o'clock, and I think this is a this has got to be strategy for trying to save the campaign because we've heard all the reports about her, you know, firing a lot of staff and really focusing on Iowa. And I was saying to you, I believe that Kamala Harris's issue has been that her. Um, her direction in this campaign has always been about we have a guy in the White House who does X. Donald Trump has done Y. Blah, 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 Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. And I don't think we've heard enough of what Kamala Harris wants to do for America. Do you think it's a good plan, the school plan? I like the idea. I don't think it's outrageous. Tell me why. I think, I think, I think it's going to be controversial to extend school to 6 o'clock for people. However, I think that we look at the way that parents work. If the typical parent works 9 to 5, a kid being in school from 8 to 3 just doesn't even work mathematically, right? But we're traditionally used to this schedule. So the idea is to extend the day to keep kids in school a little bit longer. I think it'd be great because kids come home with homework that their parents can't do for them, mm-hmm. right? That they can't work with them on and their siblings aren't going to help them. Keep them there in school, have an, uh, an extended after school situation. She wants to invest $5 million over um, a five-year period to each school that you know really wants to invest in this. And I think it really has some good ramifications for students, for parents. It helps people to be able to afford, uh, to not have to pay for daycare. Will I think there's a lot of great aspects. I gotta, I gotta stop you both. We're out of time. Karen, <laughs> Jarrett, we're out of time. It's sidebar is ending. Jared and Allie coming up next. Top of the hour. Stay tuned. I'm gonna keep talking to her over here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. crazy about Gang, that? we'll see you all next week here <laughs> on Channel Q.